It's uh, great to have you all here. You know, we are in our second week of a series called Without Apology. We have uh, four pillars here at Harvest. And one of our pillars is we will proclaim the word of God without apology. That's where the name came from, right? So why? Why are we doing this thing where we're so serious about the word? That's what this six weeks is about. What's the big deal about the Bible? And why do we go at it without apology? Last week, we were talking about, can it be trusted? That it is a trustworthy scripture. You know, we started out and we were just talking extra biblically, outside of scripture, what's true of it. And we learned some things. We learned that it's absolutely, from the long-term perspective, it's one of the most trusted ancient documents we've got. Absolutely, this is the best rendition of what was the original. We've got great copy. This is God's word. But more than that, we looked at the end of Second Peter 1. And we looked at uh, some of how he described it. When he said, I'm writing this and, and I'm telling you. I'm an eyewitness to the majesty of Jesus Christ. To the power and the glory and the authority. And, and there's prophecy within the very words of God. And God, the Holy Spirit, carried this along to man so that you could have it and be trusted with it. That's where we ended last week. It is absolutely trustworthy and from God. So that's great. Now what do we do with it? And maybe better yet, how does it even work? How does this whole scripture pour into my life and how can I make sure that it's making an impact with me? That's the question we're covering today. So we're going to have the ushers coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. And we're just going to be walking through two different passages today. We're going to start with Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to go right to verses 12 and 13. If you need a Bible and you don't have one, just raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you, okay? Just raise your hand and they'll get a Bible to you. We're going to jump right to Hebrews 4 verses 12 and 13. Okay. So the first point, how does it work? Obey the word. It is alive. And provides great discernment. Obey the word. It is alive and provides great discernment. You know, as we get started in Hebrews here, I just want to say uh, we're going to dive into chapter 4. But this overall book has some things we need to know about it. Authority. This book speaks very highly of what God said. In fact, God said, Christ said, and Scripture said is what each chapter is wrapped around. Great authority is claimed in this book. Authenticity. There is this huge amount of connection between Old Testament and New Testament. Explaining of the covenant of blood that goes on in the Old Testament and the New Testament covenant. And how the two are combined. How you see a similarity and a carrying forward from Old Covenant to New Covenant. There's a strong tying of Christ as our priest and of faith and of hope and all these pieces that make it clear. There's kind of this great overarching picture. There's huge amounts of authenticity, accuracy, and detail. It's alive. You know, one of the early church fathers actually said, this is the most glorious book on the majesty of Jesus Christ that we have recorded. This is an unbelievable insight to who our Lord Jesus Christ is the book of Hebrews acceptance you know by 370 AD this book was renowned and accepted throughout by the churches 
there were a couple of people that questioned whether they should, you know, like a guy named Marcion. Of course, he was also a heretic and he was burned at the stake. So maybe we shouldn't consider that, right? I mean, the book of Hebrews, strongly trusted book, unbelievably accurate. The authorship, well, the author didn't actually put his name in. He actually, when he penned it, just kind of knew that they knew who he was. Why do I say that? You know, if you look at the end of Hebrews, at the end in chapter 13, starting in verse 18, he says, pray for us. Can you imagine? You're sitting there listening to this letter being read and you're like, us who? Right? Is that? No. What's going on is they knew exactly who this was coming from. He says, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Restored. Like, I've already been with you. I want to come back. Be praying for that. And they're like, that's great. This is something we need to be praying for. And the church was excited about it. And they were passing it around. And it was written probably around 65 to 70 AD, right before the temple was destroyed. Because there's reference to the temple within it. And... So you've got apostles approving the letter and you've got people understanding who they are. And this guy is saying, I've been with you and I'm coming back to you. And he's writing with authority and deep authenticity in the book of Hebrews, a glorious, majestic book of our Lord and Savior and an overarching view of old and new covenants, an awesome book to be looking at for so much of life and living. That's a little bit of where we're going context wise. Okay. All right. So Hebrews chapter four. We dive in. Well, what's the context of Hebrews 4.12? Let's make sure we grasp it a little bit. If you look back to Hebrews 3, right in the middle there, in verse 7, he starts out and he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and now he starts quoting Scripture. And he has some quotes from Scripture. And the challenge, if you look at the end in verse 11, he says, As I swore in my wrath, God talking here, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He was talking about the disobedience of the Israelites. And he was talking about the rest, the Sabbath rest, you know, work for six days, take a rest on the seventh day. But he was also talking about that rest that was available to them as they were headed for the promised land and it didn't come because of disobedience. He was talking to the people here, the Hebrews, as he's writing them, and he's saying rest. It's an important word. And we all say, amen, right? We're just done with Christmas and we need a rest, sadly, right? All the parties and all the running around and... You know, I call it post-Christmas stress disorder. It's a very real thing. You'd be amazed at how much counseling goes on post-Christmas. There's a lot of hurt that can go on as you put a bunch of family members together, and a lot of them are whacked. Not us, right? We're the normal ones. It's them that's weird. But we all have our battles, and we all got our issues, and right? It can be hard at these times. He's saying, you guys need to rest. Make sure you understand biblically how important rest is. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Why should you be listening to me? Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what the writer's saying. You must understand, guys, I've claimed some truth from Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, and it's applicable to your life. The Word of God has import. That's what he's saying. So let's find out what kind of import. All right. First, he starts out, for the Word of God. 
all too often, you and I are so used to it, right? We're like, and everybody pick up the word of God. And we're just like, yeah, amen, right? We grab it. We don't even think about it. Let's think about each word here. The word of God. The actual revealing of truth from the almighty of the universe is sitting in your hands. The word of God. Maybe we should brush the dust off a little more often or stop from using it just as a book holder upper, right? Maybe it should have some serious import in our life. For the word of God is living and active. Living. What does that mean? Well, I just wrote this. It means not decaying. It means thriving. It means functional. There is life in the very words that are coming from God. You know, all too often, we get into tough times in this life, right? I mean, have you ever been in a moment where you're hurting or you're struggling? And you end up, for whatever reason, spending time in the Word. And all of a sudden, you run across a passage that gives you insight. Maybe it's insight to the other person. Maybe it's insight to yourself. Maybe it's insight to what God is doing. But somehow, all of a sudden, you go, Oh, that's right. What have I been doing? And, and you set something down and you pick up something new. And the Word of God is living, practical, functional, thriving, has value to your life today. You know, the words of man have a lot of power. How much more the word of God. The words of man have started wars. The words of man launched the crusades. The words of man have launched unbelievable caretaking endeavors. The words of man ended wars. The words of man have a lot of power. How much more the very word of God His insight as to what's going on today, what was going on yesterday, and what will be going on tomorrow. God's word for you. It has a lot of value in our lives. Living. Well, that's just the first word. It also says, and active. The word of God is active. A couple definitions for it. Powerful. Effective. Impacts your life. The word of God is active. It will impact your life. If you truly take time with the word, it will impact your life. Uh, An early church father wrote this. One of the facts of history is that wherever men have taken the word seriously, things have begun to happen. Another quote. Like, for example, they were quoting that early church father and they put dot, dot, dot. For example, when the English Bible was put into the hands of men in the 1500s, The Reformation was inevitable. It was but 50 or 75 years behind it. The entire upside down turning of the church, the final grasping of it is salvation by faith alone. It is sola scriptura. We will absolutely go with the scripture alone. And it is sola fide, faith alone that saves us to God be the glory. That's where it's at. I mean, when you put the Bible into the common person's hand, They become very uncommon. Do you know what I'm saying? The power of God and the wisdom of God and the discernment of God and the steps of God. And all of a sudden, there is God at work right here. Amen? Like, that's what kind of body we need to be. 
Not the kind of body who has an impeccable bookshelf with a great line of order and one book right on the end that we can get, but an unbelievable life where we take this book and we walk it day by day. Where the living and the active of the book are something we don't say, I cognitively assent to that fact. But we say, I've experienced that. He rocked my world this week. Amen? Like, that's what we need to be saying. God, take your book and change me. God, I want this living and active book to be moving in me, to be shaping in me. That is our call. That we let him change us. The word of God is living and active. And we're not done. It's penetrating. It says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Not one of those one-edged swords, you know, where you can slice one direction, but if you slice the other, not going to get much effect, right? But a two-edged sword, the kind where you can slice either direction, or for that matter, you can actually begin to poke in with it. And as you do, the blade on both sides allows it to pierce very quickly and easily. A two-edged sword, sharper than any other one ever known to man, right? Well, what does it say after it? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Basically, those things that are so together, they're almost incapable of being divided, but not for the word. That's what God's saying. That this is so unbelievably insightful to what's going on in your life, that soul and spirit can be separated We can barely even define the difference. And this can separate. That's what's going on. Soul. What's the difference between soul and spirit? Think about it for a second. And we don't have an answer. Okay. So (laughs) here's the reality. I looked it up. Soul maybe could be defined as just not the body, but life other than the physical life part. But our whole of life is probably the best reference to soul. It's non-physical life. Spirit. It's that very part of you that responds to God Almighty. It's the part that is given life before him. It's that piece of us that is somehow completely alive to him or completely dead to him. That we are communing with him through our spirit. And somehow the word has the ability to split between the two and separate the carnal and the normal and that which can be enlivened to him. And the whole of us versus the piece of us that is so awake to him. And Lord, help me. Become awake to you. May your word teach me more than just what's normal. But teach me what is divine. Show me you and all that you've got. That's one of the pieces that it does there. It's simply the soul and the spirit. But what else? It says it also separates joint and marrow. The bone and marrow. It can literally take the bone and marrow apart. Really? Well, are you saying the Bible can like break my arm? What are you saying? Well, if your Bible's big enough, maybe, you know, I don't know. But no, that's not what it really means, right? This is a metaphor. He's speaking metaphorically and he's talking about, can the word impact you? He's saying, look at how closely associated bone and marrow are. This thing is going to take you apart. That's what he's saying. He's saying, get into God's word. You are going to be amazed at how deeply it penetrates to getting you to let go of you and getting you to grab onto him. Let the word affect you and impact you and call you to him. 
and thoughts and intentions. Thoughts, those musings, those considerations, those things going on inside of our head, and the intentions, more than just the musings, but the actual motivations. Now this is where I want to head, and this is why. The separating of the thinkings from the motivations of the desires and able to be able to tell you which things need to be dealt with and which things need to change. The Word of God is living and active. So what does that mean? I mean, living and active. Like, if I don't hold on to it well enough, it'll climb right out of my hands. It's alive. Like, if what? how does it work? The Word of God is living. It's just a bunch of black and white. What, I set it on my head and it'll change me? What? Well, how does it work, right? And the answer is, it is just words on the one side. But the truth that it contains will change your life. It requires your will to be engaged. It requires you to be able to at least hear and maybe even be able to read. There are some things that we need to engage in this if it's going to be this living and active thing in our life. So just a few notes here. All right? A couple notes. First of all, the truth that the word contains is absolute. Now, society doesn't believe in that today, right? The postmodern world pretty much teaches everything's relative and it's all subjective and we don't even realize how much it infiltrates as we get into things like just be asking people, well, what does it mean to you? And how did that impact you? And, and those aren't bad questions. On the one hand, we want to know like what's going on in your life and what's God doing in your life. But here's not what we're asking. We just read a passage of scripture and the meaning can be any meaning. And so what meaning do you want it to be? That's not what we're saying. There is one meaning to scripture, and it is absolute. It does not change, it does not vary, and it is correct. The word of God is absolute and absolutely to be trusted. Amen? amen. Got to get a big amen on that, so we got to think about it. Amen? amen? Like, if we're not going after that, if we're not going to go that way, then we're just going the way of the world. You may as well be a boat with no oars. You're floating downstream. Good luck. There's a waterfall at the end. Okay? Like it's real, absolute, and absolutely to be trusted. And so what we're not doing is saying, just come up with any old ideas of meaning and do whatever you want with Scripture and what did it seem to mean to you today? And it's more of a, what specifically is God saying? What was said originally and what was meant? And then how can that be applied as a truth today? Absolutely still true in my life. That's a really important distinction. And for those of you who maybe haven't thought about it a lot, that's a real good thing to settle on and make sure you understand absolute and living and active. Wow, this is starting to get pretty trustworthy, isn't it? If it's absolute and it's living and active and it's a guarantee, now that's worth going after. Jonah says amen. All right. Uh, it gives you great insight to yourself. Another little note does give you great insight to yourself. Have you ever met someone where when you're talking with them, they're like, everybody loves me. I, really? I don't offend people. I'm beautiful and I'm lovely and I have great words and I just, I'm just a joy to be with in the home and outside of the home. And the person standing next to them is like, whatever. <laughs> you know, like that. Have you ever seen that? I mean, it's around all over the place, right? We've got this lack of insight to self, right? I'm telling you that's a lack of time in the word 
actually listening and learning. Might not be a lack of time in the word, but the actually listening and learning part. Because it will separate soul and spirit. It will help you understand sinful and not sinful. It will take you to the base of your pride and to the center of your lack of humility and to the lack of your lip control. And it will get you kind of seeing the guy beside you that just went, whatever. And you don't even see that going on. And it'll all of a sudden make you more aware around you. Make sure you spend time not just reading it, but letting the Holy Spirit talk to you through it. It will give you insight to who you are and to what it means. The Word of God, it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, how come it's not working for me? I mean, I've spent some time in the Word. I'm just telling you, this 30-day challenge, like I've been reading it for five whole days now. I did this week, and I don't feel like a different person. How come it's not working? I have a major problem in my life, and it's not different yet, Tim. I don't believe you. Okay, four reasons why the Bible might not actually be working at the moment for you. You ready? Number one, you might misunderstand it. Are you sure you're not claiming a promise that actually isn't a promise at all? You might be thinking you're grasping something from a passage, but really it's not telling you to do that or be that at all or expect that. You might have a misunderstanding of the truth of the word of God. So be careful with that. That's number one. Number two, actually, you might be approaching things selfishly. We're told in James 4 that if you ask amiss, that you might consume it upon your own lusts, don't count on it happening, right? So even if we're praying for the most godly of things, even if we're hoping for the most godly of things, if our prayer is simply so that I can look better, so that I can be more comfortable, well, then maybe God's going to actually hold off on that. He definitely tells us, that if selfishness is involved, he's going to pull back in order to train, okay? So maybe there's misunderstanding. Maybe there's selfishness. Number three, maybe it's just that there's others that are sin involved, other sin. You know, sometimes our hope or our expectations or our dreams isn't just about me, but it's about the person next to me. And all of a sudden, the person next to me and their will and their desires are completely awry. And as they're in sin, and you're sitting there living it right, and you're like, come on, God. And he's like, check out the person next to you. You know, we're doing something there. Hang on. And so while we're looking for the result that was, in quotes, promised, he's saying, the promise is applied to you. The heart next to you is not running with me. And we're, we're doing a different work there. Just hang on. Sometimes it's other sin that's involved. And let me tell you, that's probably the hardest one to deal with. Because the next step after that is to then turn to them and control them, right? <laughs> Get in place. Because if you're not in place, then I don't, right? And all of a sudden it's, I need you in line or else. And be careful. Control isn't the answer. Just deeper prayer and understanding of God's application of his word to you personally. That's a big deal. All right? So first is misunderstanding. Second is selfishness. Third is other sin. And the last one, well, it could be my sin. It could be a prior mistake or a set of mistakes and there's consequences I'm living out today. It could be a current mistake that I'm making, a sin attitude or approach. Whatever it is, somehow my mistakes are trumping out. So where there is a promise of scripture to be claimed, actually that promise is categorically put on the, as long as you're walking with him and then you kind of, whoops, I've slipped and I've gone my own way and now it actually God's bringing me around and disciplining. So be careful. 
When we say the word isn't working, if you notice, every one of those, it's not, the Bible was wrong. That's not what it is, right? Or, you know, I read it and it said it and it just didn't turn out true. Instead, it's, oops, my bad. I misunderstood our oops, you're bad. You know, you're messing this thing up. Could you please stop that? Right? That's what's going on. The word of God stands true. It is absolute. It is totally to be trusted. For those of you who like the systematic theology terms, I'll throw them at you here, okay? Every word of God is inspired. The verbal, plenary inspiration of God. The words, all of them, inspired. Verbal, plenary inspiration. And every word is accurate and right. And every idea is true. It is inerrant. We completely trust in the absolute word of God fully inspired, handed down to us, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Watch out. He's going to take you apart and rebuild you like you've never seen before. You are going to go from the common to the uncommon. You are going to go from, I think I understand a bit and I'm pretty excited about it, to there is unbelievable touch in my life. People looking at you and saying, there must be a God because look at where you've gotten to. Do you know what I'm saying? That's a good thing. May we never be in a spot where people can look at us and say, that person surely has it together. Look how far they've gone. Well, that's useless. People can try all the time. May they look at you and say, truly the uncommon has occurred in your life. You aren't just where you could reach to, you're beyond. We should never be willing to say, yeah, that's because I tried hard. We should always be willing to say, you wouldn't believe how that took me apart. I had to give up so much of me and lay it all down and God rebuilt and now look at the level I've gotten to. We're headed for the uncommon, not the common. Amen? That's what we're going after. All right. So how do we do that? The 30-day challenge is a great little starting point. All right? Time to take in the word, to obey the word. Have you been doing this this week? Are you with us on this? Okay, if you're not with us, join us this week, all right? This is available on the website. You can get a hold of it. Just download it there under our resources page. We're going to have some ushers at the back at the end, and uh, you can grab a card from them. It gives you some reading to do for Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday off. Why? Saturday's a nice recovery day. You can actually look back, and the days you didn't get, get them. And uh, Sunday is, well, we're going over the word here, okay? So it's Monday to Friday, and actually the Friday passage is what we're going to be preaching on that, that weekend, that Sunday. So take some time to read through with this, okay? But you know what? There's some steps to do on here. It's got some process. And so I just want to walk it through a little more thoroughly than I did last week, all right? There's a three-step process. After you read, in order to record, I'm telling you, you can sit down and read, and you get done, and you can walk away, and within 10 minutes, you can't even tell somebody what it was about. It's very easy to do, isn't it? Is it just me? It's very easy to do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We have to be careful. The bottom line is we have so many things going in our head and so many thoughts going on that we dive into the word. And I've only put about 15 to 20 verses in here per day. Okay, it's not a lot of verses. And so some of you have come to me and said, my word, we could do so much more. And others have come and said, my word, that's a lot. Okay, so that means we're right in the perfect balance. When we get complaints on both sides, we're good. All right. So right now we're sitting at about 15 to 20 verses. And here's the reality. Take some time to read it. And if you're used to reading a lot more, slow down and spend your time actually diving deeper. Okay, that's what we're going to do is go a little deeper. How do I go deeper? Three steps. First is the letter O, observation. 
Okay, we're going to make some observations. Why? Because this is a letter that, as I wrote here on the, on the bookmark, the books of the Bible were written to specific audiences in history. They were written at a specific place in time to a specific set of events to a specific group of people. And God was saying a specific message. What was it? So make some observations like this seemed to be said and this is the big point and here's some repeated words and this is probably the intent and the import uh, import that they would have gotten out of it right observations in their world what was going on okay so it's in their world what was going on now the bridge to our world is this biblical principle what is true because of god being the god who says i am the lord your god i change not Malachi 3.6. No change in our God. So what was true then is true now. So there's a timeless principle in the midst of this. What is it? And find that and lay that in as the bridge. Here's the timeless principle. And then the thing today is, so how do I apply that into my life? I mean, I'm a, I'm a student. How do I apply that as a student? I'm a junior in high school or, or uh, well, I'm not. I'm in college. So how do I apply that? Or well, I'm not in college. I have a college student as a child. And how do I apply that? And, and so each of us in our unique situations of life, there's a myriad of applications to that principle. But hear me, there is really one principle, one meaning, okay? One timeless principle that you need to be finding and, and grabbing and laying in as the bridge. And then there are many ways to apply it, all right? The problem with postmodern society is we're saying many principles, Hey, go across any of those bridges. Eh, wrong answer. One bridge, okay? One meaning to the passage, one purpose it was written. What's the big idea? What's going on? Does that make sense? Does everybody get that? Honestly, for some of us, we're like, I don't get it. I read it. I tell you how I feel. I'm done. Like, that's kind of how I do it. There's a name for that. It's called reader response. We're not going that way, okay? Why? Because all of a sudden, I become the source of what is absolute truth. I'll tell you what it means. It's what I want it to mean. Are you hearing the difference? Now I'm the authority. Now all of a sudden, I better be inspired. Every word and no errors. Uh Uh-oh, I'm not. Then don't go that way, okay? We're going the way of what does this word say and what's the one principle and what are the many applications? Does that make sense? Everybody kind of get that? That's all you're doing this week. So let me just say it this way. Observation, what letter does it begin with? Principle, what letter does it begin with? Application, what letter does it begin with? What does OPA spell? Opa. Opa, right? Okay, so from a Greek perspective, what did that word mean? I looked it up. You know what it means? They don't know what it means. So literally, they don't know what it means, but it means kind of, they use it like hooray, like define hooray. Right? That's what it's, it's like hooray. It's just a celebratory statement. It means cool. It means great. It means this is exciting. And I'm glad this happened. And opa. And so here, what we're, here's what we're doing. Okay. You're going to spend time in the word this week, just reading through the passage and saying, Lord, I just want to make some observations, just some stuff that was going on in their world. I want to find that timeless principle that's going on in the middle of it. And then I'm just going to throw out some applications of things I could do. And then I'm going to pray, Lord, help me today to be applying this in this way. And then I can say, All right, that's what you're going after. It's corny, but it works, okay? Your whole thing is, Lord, help me celebrate your word this week. I want to be exploring and finding. I want to come away saying, Opa, okay? That's what we're going for. We're not going for, I'm looking at the word, and I came away and I said, 
well, this is what I want it to mean. That's not where we're going. It's what were you trying to say? What did you mean? I've grasped your message, and now I'm applying it to my life. Opa. Okay? Example. Let's throw Philippians 4.13 up there. All right. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Have you heard this verse? Right? And so we throw this verse up, and we use it all the time, right? We're like, I'm taking a calculus exam, and I haven't been there for class all year, and I haven't studied it all, and I don't do the homework, and I'm not good at math. But I'm going to pass because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? And I like make a t-shirt of it on Friday instead of studying because I don't like studying. So I got a t-shirt and it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. I can do it, baby. Right? I can deliver. I'm going to change my circumstances just because God is in me and he's so good and I can do all things. Okay. Well, what's the context actually say? Throw the whole verse up there. 11 through 13. Let's just read this together. Can you see that from where you're at? Let's just read this together, okay? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Kind of sounds like it means a little different thing all of a sudden, doesn't it? I mean, look at some of these underlines. Whatever situation I am in to be content. Or I know how to be brought low and how to abound, right? The low and the high. And then it says, in any and every circumstance of facing plenty or hunger, lots of food, no food, abundance and need, like I've got it or I don't have it, I can do all things... Through Christ who strengthens me. You see, this verse is actually a verse that says, no matter what the circumstance, I can rejoice in my almighty God because he is who I'm treasuring. This is saying, it's not about what's around me physically. It's about who I know in my life with him. And it doesn't matter if I'm abounding or if I am actually in need and I'm starving. I can do all things. I can hang in there and rejoice and be satisfied with my almighty God in the midst of whatever he's doing to shape me. Praise God. He's at work in me. And I can relax in that. Wow. That's quite a difference of an application to that verse, isn't it? All of a sudden, we should be taking this verse and saying, well, what's your circumstance? Well, this is what's going on. Is it a tough one? Yeah. Are you going to be able to celebrate him in the midst of it? Well, no, I was going to try to change it. I thought this was a promise to change the circumstances with all I had because I can do anything. So I'm going to change it to a more comfortable circumstance now. I thought that was how I could apply this verse. And now I'm really upset that God isn't answering my prayer and the circumstances aren't changing. And why doesn't the Bible work? Misunderstanding. See it? That's what we have to be careful of. Make sure you read in context. I mean, if you notice when we're preaching up here, we take a good long time to explain what's going on around it, what's going on in the book, what's happening in the chapter before it. Why are we doing that? So we don't get a misunderstanding and run off saying God promised. And God's like, I didn't promise that. You know what I'm saying? That's where we're going. Okay? So, question for you. Are you ready to dive into something that is given by God? Are you ready to dive into something that is absolutely inspired, that is living and active, 
no mistakes, promises of effective change in your life, a goal of total satisfaction and rejoicing, absolutely no disappointment, God has a plan for you this week to start. Are you ready to dive in to a 30-day challenge of reading with us? For those of you who aren't in with us, jump in with us. Notice I'm using the us now. Last week it was jump in with me. I was the one who had committed because I made the bookmark, right? And now we've got hundreds of people who are like, I'm doing it. I'm going through it. And just walk through with us. It's not a difficult time, a couple of whatever, 10, 15 minutes, and you can get through a time of reading and putting down some observations and a principle and an application. Get the bookmark. It actually has a little picture on there that explains the observation, principle, and application. It's got a couple words for steps to do. And then on the back side, it's got the actual verses to be reading. Again, we're going to have ushers at the back to pick those up so you can pick one up if you don't have one. And you can also get it online. If you've got friends that you want to get connected into it, just send them the, the link to that. It's got the PDF right online and they got the challenge they can read and everything. Okay? Let's do it. Let's get God's word changing us this week. Amen? It's time. It's time in this new year to say, Lord, you've got me. Let's go. Okay. Notice that I said, Lord, you've got me. If the Bible's living and active, should it just be like an idol that we worship all by itself? We just set it up because it can do the work, and so we just let it do the work. Is that how it works? And the answer is no. So that's the second point. Follow the Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts and guides. Follow the Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts and guides. We're in John chapter 16 for this, verses 8 through 13. So turn there if you can. John 16, verses 8 through 13. Follow the Holy Spirit. All right. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little context. See how important context is? A little context here. So I'll start in verse uh, 4. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you, to the disciples, from the beginning, because I was with you, the disciples, but now I, Jesus, am going to him who sent me, God the Father. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, is coming to the disciples. For us now, he's here. The Holy Spirit working among us. Well, what's he doing? Verse 8, here we go. So these are the things we need to know about following the Spirit. What's the Spirit do? His job. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged so he convicts of three things of sin and righteousness and judgment this is what he's saying i'm convicting you of sin like don't do that you need to be away from there that's going to hurt you I don't want you hurt like that. I don't want you destroyed like that. This is for your protection and your good. Step away from that. He's convicting of sin. You need to let go of that. He's convicting of righteousness. He's saying, this is what you need to grab onto. You need to look like this. This is where we're headed. And he's convicting of judgment. In the end, if this is not let go of, and this is not grabbed onto, this is where we're headed. And notice it says, for the judgment, because... The ruler of this world is judged. Done. Okay? 
The sentence will be meted out in due time, but the judgment is done, okay? Is judged. Are we going to participate in being in that judge, that judgment, or are we going away from that? That's what he's asking. Now, notice it says he convicts of sin. Why? Because you don't believe in Jesus Christ. It's, you need to begin a relationship with him. And then next it says convicts of righteousness because I'm not with you. In other words, you have a model of righteousness standing before you at the moment, and this model is going to be gone soon. You will not physically be able to see me and watch me and go, oh, so that's how we're supposed to act. Oh, so that's the way we should be thinking. Oh, so that. And so now the Holy Spirit is here to say, this is where we're headed. Notice what else the Holy Spirit does. Not only does he convict of sin and righteousness and judgment, it says, I still have many things to say to you, verse 13 or verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit will guide into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but wherever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all things that are to come. You will be guided into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit's role as he works with you each day in each way. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is working with you, he is whispering with you, he is leading you, he is saying, here's where we're headed. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to be. I'm guiding you into all truth. And then he says in verse 14, he will glorify me, Jesus Christ, will be glorified by the Holy Spirit, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Our job is to glorify Jesus Christ with our whole lives. Amen? The Holy Spirit's leading in that regard. The role of the scriptures and the role of the Holy Spirit is to work together to be able to pierce and inform, to be able to lead and guide. And the Holy Spirit empowering you so that you can look to him and say, I get what I need to let go of and I get what I need to grab onto. That is the plan. Life change so that he's glorified. You know, we talked about this back in the Grow Right series, back in the fall, for those of you who are with us, right? And it's, Lord, how come I'm not growing? Why am I not changing? I keep seeming to be going along, and I hit this brick wall, and where I normally have patience, I just keep, no more, like that's all I got, and I keep bouncing off of that wall, or how come I keep wanting to have victory in this area with my tongue, or in my, with the gossip, or with the attitude, and, and I keep hitting a brick wall and bouncing off. I'm just going to try harder tomorrow, right? How come that doesn't work? And the answer is because that's what scripture would call in Galatians. You're trying to attack it with the flesh. You're trying to take a human fleshly attempt to change a human fleshly problem. And that doesn't ever work. It's actually called legalism at other levels. Our goal here is to not be the one to try to muscle up enough energy to change it ourselves, But instead, to be transformed. Let the Holy Spirit take you and change you. It says that your mind will be renewed, that the inside of you will be changed, that you will literally be a new and different being. And the result of that new and different heart is this spill out that is no longer as impatient, that is no longer as touchy, that is no longer as wordy, that is no longer as judgmental. And why? Because the heart's different now. He's changing me from the inside out. That's what's going on. The Holy Spirit's job is he guides and convicts and empowers. Let's tie it together with that passage, 2 Corinthians 3, that we went through, 16 to 18, where it says, if you bask in the very glory of the Almighty, you will be changed from one level of glory to another. And when we're not being changed, we must say, apparently, some of that glory is being veiled. 
and I'm not changing because God's not pouring himself over me. What's going on? The veil in the way is my will. I am letting me and my sin and my mistakes and my I will do it my way stand in front of me and God. And he just chooses to say, I'll let my glory be blocked there a little bit. It's not that it's less powerful. It's that he chooses to say, then you live with that. And in living with that, we go so long and we get so infuriated and we get so sick of it that we finally go, enough of this. And we turn back and we say, please forgive me, Lord. I haven't been in the right spot. I want this changed. And he's like, exactly, right? And in the midst of coming back, his glory is unveiled and just beaming over you and pouring into you. And as you stand in the very glory of God, you just begin to change. And all of a sudden, you're breaking through walls you never broke through before. The uncommon is happening in your life. Are you hearing it? That's what we're going after. The Holy Spirit changing me. How does this word work? How is it living and active? Because the glory of God is attached to the truth of God. And he is pouring over you and me as long as we don't stand before him with our will up, our pride in the way, our sin standing firm. And as we pull that down, his glory just begins to pour more and more over. And like we said back then, the real question is, how much of God's glory are you experiencing right now? And as we wrestle with a sin, we're like, I guess I'm not experiencing as much of it as I could be for sure. Lord, help me to take down the veil and let you just pour me, pour over me so that I can be changed like never before. That is life change. That is glorifying Jesus Christ with all we've got. Amen? That's a weak amen. Amen? Amen. Are you ready to say, I have a God who has given me victory. I have a God who has given me the means for life change, total satisfaction, absolute certainty. I proclaim what he's offering me. I want what he's giving me. I want to lay it down before him. I want all of it changed, and I mean now. Lord, I'm coming to your word, and I'm pleading with you. May it be living and active and powerful. May it pierce and divide. Give me anything I need to know. It's time for the walls to come down. It's time for you to reign in my life with all authority. I want Jesus Christ glorified in my life. Amen? That's what we're going after. May our lives absolutely celebrate him as we say, Opa, I found a truth in his word and it's brought a veil down and it's brought his glory up and I'm changing from one degree of glory to another. Praise be to God. I'm changing. That's the plan of how it works. Here's the deal. As we wrestle with our day-to-days, let me just leave you this phrase. I wrote it this way. The toughest work is in the surrender. When we make the toughest work the trying, we're teaching legalism. Let that settle for a second. The toughest word is in the surrender. When we make the toughest word the trying, we're teaching legalism. Just flesh it. Give it all your own effort. If it's in the trying and not in the surrendering, forget it. The effort needs to be in driving ourselves to our knees. And the more that our knees are calloused with surrender and confession, 
the more we are basking in his glory and the real change is occurring. It's not about behavior modification on the outside. It's about heart transformation from the inside. That's the Holy Spirit pouring over you. Nothing you can do about it other than surrender, surrender, surrender. That's where we have to go. If we surrender, we begin to grasp it. You know, the, the message that we took was breathe, right? That was grow right. It was exhale out, confessing all that needs to go before the Holy Spirit. Just, Lord, please forgive me. Exhaling in confession. And as you do that, you can only do it so long, right? Breathe out with me. Just do it with me. Exhale out. No left. Right? Inhale in. And that's proclaiming the truths of God's word. You are my father. You have offered total forgiveness through your shed blood. You are an amazing God. You are loving. You are gentle. You are kindly transforming me. And here's some more I need to be adjusting before you. Confess. Please search me, God, and know anything that needs to go. And claim again. You are faithful to be standing right by my side. You are an amazing God. That is breathing. If we breathe and then we intake his word and then we breathe and we intake his word and we breathe and we intake his word, I'm telling you, you will never be the same again. It's time for this body to show this town, these friends, our family members, what God can do in a given soul that says, have me. It's time for us to breathe and intake and breathe and intake. So now that we've just done some intake, let's do a little breathing before we go. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're just going to do a little bit of prayer time here and then we're going to celebrate with a closed song. So let's just bow our heads. Just take a little time here to exhale to confess out what needs to be given over to the Lord. We all stand in spots where we have held on tightly and said, it's about me, Lord, and I want, and I will not get right with this person, and they will not. And it's time for us to set down our defensiveness and our sinfulness and our pride and just say, please forgive me, Lord. Hand it over to him at this moment. Father God, I just lift all of us up before you. Lord, I just ask that each of us could experience breathing as we confess before you what needs to change. Forgive us, Lord, for the me in the way. I want all veils down. I want your glory up. Bring it to him. so far before we're just out in the exhaling and it's time to inhale just thank him for who he is he is your father that he has adopted you as his child you are a king's child in this world he's giving you his power just thank him for who he is in your life
one last time, just lay it out before him. Search me, O God, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me at all and lead me in the way everlasting. Just make that your prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's anything that he makes available to you to release. God, we have come before you, the almighty God of the universe, the king of all nations. You alone are to be worthily praised. You alone are our almighty savior and you have adopted us and allow us to call you daddy. We are your little boy or your little girl in your arms and on your lap and you lavish upon us and you pour upon us and you want for us with all you've got. Lord, we praise your name that you offer for us glory that can transform us from one level of glory to another. Hope that can take us like never before. Lord, my prayer for all of us is that we experience going from the uncommon to the common this week. May we celebrate you as we spend time in the word looking for those truths where we can literally say, Opa, I have celebrated the almighty working in my life. You are present in my life. The Holy Spirit to convict and guide. You're living within me. Lord, may I respond to you. May I literally breathe with you. It's in your name that I pray.